Hey, I'm David Crabtree, lead pastor at Calvary Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope you'll find something every week that inspires you to dig deeply into God's Word and reach for the unmet potentials that lie within you. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and never miss an update. Hope you enjoy the message. Welcome, friends. We're so glad that you've joined us for another uh, evening in the book of Judges. We're going to move beyond Samson tonight and take it a little further. But first, we need to kind of close up Samson's part of, of Judges. Barry Webb's excellent commentary on Judges offers great insights into this oft-neglected book in the Old Testament. For instance, I was surprised through Webb to learn that uh, Frederick Handel wrote an oratorio titled Samson in the very same year that he wrote Messiah. As a matter of fact, he wrote the Samson oratorio right after Messiah, and it was immediately popular. As a matter of fact, it was performed more in a single season in London than was Messiah. Handel's work, of course, has great staying power. This Samson oratorio that, uh, that Handel wrote was most recently recorded 2019. In 2019. Now, John Milton, who wrote Paradise Lost, also wrote on Samson called Samson's Agonistes, and he wrote it right after writing Paradise Lost. It's thought by some that Handel received his inspiration by reading Milton. We're not sure. But these bright stars of music and the arts and the pen and theology did not regard Samson as a minor story or as a point of even comic relief, a light interlude. They, they took Samson seriously. And the author of Judges clearly wants us to do the same. Once again, I'm looking to Barry Webb here when he says, beneath all the surface chaos and the mad careering here and there of a wild man hero, there is a steady building towards a predetermined climax of profound theological significance. For Samson is not just Samson. Samson is Israel. He is separated from other men, but he longs to be like them. Just as Israel is separated from the other nations and yet continually drawn to them. Samson goes after foreign women just as Israel pursues foreign gods. Samson suffers for his willfulness, as Israel suffers for her willfulness. And in the end, he cries out to God, as Israel repeatedly cries out to God. But now it's Samson alone who does so. He is remnant Israel. He is Israel reduced to a single man. It's a fascinating parallel. These historical books in the Old Testament embed their stories in our memories, but they should be more than curiosity, more than children's stories. They should be examples to us. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says these Old Testament stories were given for our example. 1 Corinthians 10 and 6, these things too, or these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. They took place as examples for us. Now, the judges are long gone, but the pattern is all too clear. As a matter of fact, it's contemporary. God calls us to be separated from the world. 
Yet we so often long to be like the world. We hunger to be accepted by the world. God calls us to fidelity. But like Samson, we're drawn to our Delilahs. We suffer disastrous loss for our willfulness, only calling out to God when we hit rock bottom. In this, Judges really reads our beads. Before we leave Samson, I just want to touch on his inclusion in Hebrews chapter 11. And maybe in the study, you've wondered why I've painted him with such a dark brush. And there he is uh, appearing in Hebrews chapter 11. It's a good point. The list of heroes in Hebrews 11 is impressive. And they are, for the, for, by and large, they are very positive role models for us. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, not perfect men by any means, but positive. Overall, they're positive. And then, of course, we have Rahab, who was known as a harlot. And she is commended, not for a life, but for even a single act of faith. After Rahab, the cast of characters becomes, well, a bit more salty. Let's look at it in Hebrews chapter 11, 32 through 34. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lion, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong in weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. In Samson, you see conquering kingdoms, made strong out of weakness. In, in the other judges, became mighty with an army, putting foreign armies to flight. Remember the summary of Samson given to his mother when the angel first appeared to her. The angel said, he shall begin to deliver Israel. And so he did. And so he's recorded in the 11th chapter of Hebrews because Hebrews 11 says, these are those heroes which did these things. Samson falls easily into the category. Samson prayed twice. It's recorded in the scripture that he prayed only twice. He called upon God to live. Give me water. I believe it's in the 15th chapter. And he calls upon God, he calls upon God to die. He says, let me die with the enemy. This side of heaven we will never know the depth of Samson's character that is just sketched out for us here in Judges. Most probably, this was given to us by Samuel, who was alive and in his own adolescence when Samson was at the height of his powers. The sketch fills in somewhat of a progressive story. And Samson is probably the most colorful actor on the stage of the whole Old Testament. And so the time that we've spent with him, I think, has been justified. And now we move on. The last five chapters of Judges capture two stories. There is no reliable way to take these two stories and attach them to any point of chronology. So we can't really situate them in time. They do not record any other judge. Uh, these last five chapters aren't about a judge. 
They're more of a commentary on the times. As the first of Judges begins with two overviews that kind of gives us a historical overlook before we get into the work of the Judges, here at the end we're given two stories that give us somewhat of an overlook of the times, the times that they were living in, kind of ties the whole thing together. But these stories reveal the tragic loss of faith that the Judges were raised up in the first place to blunt. So we... We have to step out of the progressive nature of judges as we've been studying one right after the other and walking through time. We haven't paid a lot of attention to the chronology, but we have been passing through time. Now we're looking at another couple of stories that overlook the whole, the whole period of time. First, we're introduced to one named Micah. This is not the prophet Micah. Judges 17, we have the story of Micah and the Levite. So we begin our reading in Judges 17 and 1 through 6 first. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse and also spoke it in my ears, Behold, the silver is with me, I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is a bizarre story. And we're not even given a sketch. Someone has just taken a crayon here and given us an outline. But it is interesting. First of all, Micah is from Mount Ephraim. He's from the very center of Israel from the heights. This story is not just a story about Micah. That will become clear as we make our way through it. It's not just about Micah. Like the judges, this story is about Israel. Micah is the heart of Israel. Now, Micah is a man of means, the son of a mother of means, and Micah has been a bad boy. 1,100 pieces of silver. This is interesting because this is the price that each Philistine priest offered to Delilah to give up Samson and to give up his secret. The amount is not connected, but what it does indicate is 1,100 pieces of silver was a lot of money Micah stole from his mother. He stole a lot from his mother. And when the money was stolen, his mom uttered a curse over the unknown thief. Her son, when he heard the curse, confessed and returned the money. Now his mother's heart is somehow moved at his confession. And she forgives him and says that she dedicates the money to the Lord. 
But then she only takes a portion of the money to devote it to a religious expression. She hires a silversmith. She orders up significant idols that will be placed then in the house of Micah. Now, we don't have to understand all of the ramifications of the story. We don't have to be able to put the whole thing together, but we do understand these things. They're simple and they're clear. Micah was very religious. Micah had a shrine. He had a priestly garment. He ordained one of his own sons to be his own priest. And now he sets up a central, a costly idol. Well, this wild story is littered with broken pieces of the law of Moses. It's it's stunning that this man, Micah, is so religious and yet shows such a blatant disregard for the basic tenets of the law. I mean, Exodus 24 and 5, Deuteronomy 4, 15 and 17. God says, you don't make any image, you don't make any graven image that he must be worshiped as God, not worshiped in a form that is created by man. And we understand this in its simplest terms. We understand God saying, there is nothing that could be created that in any way fully represents who I am. Any idol that you create, any carving that you create, it will be inadequate to demonstrate who I really am. So God banned them from graven images or idols or any form that could be worshiped because none of it, none of it can really display. That's why we don't worship nature. It's why we're not pantheists. We don't get up in the morning and worship the sunrise or, or worship the fields. We don't worship the mountains. We don't worship the babbling streams. We don't worship the glory of the oceans. We recognize God created all of these things and yet all of them in total cannot, they cannot show us the fullness of the glory of God. Therefore, they are not worthy to be substitutes for worship. We worship God. So you do not worship. This is a basic understanding in Jewish faith. You do not worship anything or anyone but God. Idols, all of them, are out. You see, we are not to shape God in our image. We are not to give an artistic a vision of who God is or what he may be he be, may be like. We can offer these things as far as trying to understand God, but we worship none of them. We are shaped in his image. I don't know who said it first, but it was well said, in the beginning God created man in his own image and ever since man has tried to return the favor. I believe that's absolutely true. We are constantly trying to shape God in our image. Well, in Israel, shrines were to be, they were to be torn down and destroyed. You see that in the life of Gideon just a few chapters ago. You know that revival is coming in Israel. Read all of the Old Testament and you will know that revival is coming. You'll know that they're moving in a right direction when somebody goes out tears down all of the idols, pulls down all of the Asherah poles. They go out and they destroy the high places where people had been worshiping false gods. You know that Israel is returning to her God. Shrines are to be torn down and destroyed. Priests, priests are not to be just made by men. Priests come from the line of Aaron, from the tribe of Levi. You don't go choose a, a relative to be a, a priest. The priest's garments, 
Those are all outlined in the law of Moses and they were meant for use within the tabernacle and you see that at Shiloh. You don't go sew up your own garments. What you've done is you've basically made not, you've, you've not made an, an, an object or a garment of worship. You, you've made a costume. And that's what we find going on here. Now, why is this happening? Why, why is Micah doing this? Aside from being a, a religious man who, who has no knowledge of God, what, what is going on here? Well, the scripture makes it very clear. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everybody then did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Step aside for a moment with me and imagine a culture, imagine a culture where there is no absolute right and wrong and where everyone does what they consider to be right according to their own individual moral code. Imagine a culture that has a very deep religious background and yet their faith has faded to mere form and its requirements have been discounted and made mere suggestions. Am I speaking about Israel or am I speaking about America? Am I talking about then or am I talking about now? And the answer is yes. I'm talking about then and I'm talking about now. Micah, this story of Micah in the 17th chapter of Judges is up to date. It is just as up to date as your newspaper. I shouldn't even say that anymore because newsprint's pretty well gone. It's just like, it's just like loading up your news source on your, on your iPad or your, or your iPhone every morning. You're looking at what's the latest. Well, Micah is like reading what's happening today in America. Micah and his mother have religious background. They have heritage. They have some religion and they have historical knowledge. And from it, they're syncretists. They pull the pieces together, and they build their own faith. I don't know if they're still out there or not. I'm a little past, uh, past that stage. My girls are all grown up and gone, but do you remember when the store opened called Build-A-Bear? It's probably still there. It's a teddy bear store, but you can go in and you can build that bear according to what you want it to look like, how you want it to dress it up, what features, what features it has, and I, they've made a lot of money, I'm sure. It seems to be a rather silly thing to me, but that's, that's me. Build-A-Bear. You just go in and you make it whatever you want it to be. Well, Micah lives in a culture where it's Build-A-God. It's a culture that's largely ignored the core of the law, the requirements of the law, and the relationship the law requires. It's all been replaced now with ceremony and with ritual so Micah's little house of worship now mimics the tabernacle, but it's not the tabernacle. You see, God does not allow, to borrow a musical theme, God doesn't allow variation on the theme. We're not given the choice of do-it-yourself religion. Let me say it another way. You're not allowed to go painting mustaches on Mona Lisa's. You're not allowed to deface what God has set in order and it's perfect and it's beautiful and it cannot be improved upon. And he does not, he does not allow, he does not need, he does not endorse, he will not. He will not surrender himself to be defaced 
by our own desires. Tim Keller really captures this. He's talking about the way we take a little bit of religion and then we, re- we, we reject the essence of it. He said the most serious way we do this is by consciously, intellectually rejecting part of the scriptural revelation of God. No man-made image can display him. Only Jesus brings the full revelation of God to us, but we pick and choose. We do this whenever we say, we can no longer accept a God who does this or a God who forbids that. I can't tell you how often I have heard people say the same thing. I just can't believe in a God who does this or that. We're building our own gods. It's our Build-A-Bear store. We create our own theology. We are become syncretists. We're taken right out of the book of Judges in our culture. When we use the term no longer, I can no longer accept, no longer. We wrap ourselves in a mantle of so-called progress. In fact, what we're really saying is our culture's distaste for this idea from the scripture means we must drop it absolutely. We must have a God that fits our culture's sensibilities. This means we, like Micah's family, are reshaping God to fit our society and hearts instead of letting God reshape our society and our hearts. I'll say it again. We, like Micah's family, are reshaping God to fit our society and hearts rather than letting God reshape our society and our hearts. That's what we have. It's, here in Judges, it's satire or something really close to it. Let's go a little further because this gets, this gets wilder as it goes. Verse 7. Now, there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah of the family of Judah who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah. I am going to sojourn where I may find a place. And uh, Micah said to him, stay with me. Be to me a father and a priest. I'll give you 10 pieces of silver a year, a suit of clothes, and your living. And the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man. And the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest and in the house of Micah, and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. So a Levite of priestly caste from Bethlehem goes looking for a new home north of Jerusalem, and he happens upon there the house of Micah. And Micah's house now already has its idolatrous shrine. It has all of these trappings that we read about in the first six verses. Stay, says Micah. You're, uh, you're from the Levitical line. He wasn't a priest, but he's from the Levitical line. And Micah said, good enough. Stay. I'm going to hire you now to fill out my little chapel on the hill here. I've set it all up for you and I'm going to pay you well. And the Levite, who must have been almost as secularized as Micah, agrees to this abomination. 
Micah sees this in the idolatrous frame of, of his times. Micah thinks, I worship God or gods. I've got all of the religious garb, the ephods. I've, I've topped off this whole Sunday now with a big cherry. I've got my own personal priest and not my son who I appointed. No, no, no. I've actually got a Levite. I've got one with credentials. And now I believe because I've done all of these things, I'm pleasing to God. And because I've done all of these things, the Lord will prosper me. You see, the purpose of Micah's religious effort is to get access to God so that God will do what he wants. How tragic. People who approach God with this mindset don't get it at all. They're, they're so incredibly lost. This idea that if I can just get close to God, I can manipulate him to do for me what I want for my own purposes. You see, the goal of true faith is to give God access to your heart so he can do with you what he wants. Don't miss this. So he can do with you according to his plan. True religion's purpose is to get you to serve God, not God to serve you. In the end, you see, we should be reflecting on the greatest commandment. What was it? Micah and the Levite and Mama, they should have known this. They probably did. What's the first commandment? What's the core? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart. You see, we don't please God that we might get something from him. We're not seeking after our own prosperity or we are utterly corrupt. We don't make religion after our own desires because the desires of our heart generally will lead us to stray or lead us astray. There's none righteous. The scripture says, no, not one. Who can know the heart of man? It's deceitful above all things. If we're left to our own design and we are not then submitted wholly to God's purpose and plan in our lives, well, we walk a path that ultimately leads us to idolatry. We worship ourselves. Micah's actions and the ritual performance of his hired Levite show nothing of a heart for God or a love for God. It's religion at its very worst. And I'm sad to say today, we don't have to travel all the way back through the judges to see that kind of religion on full display. Just lift up your eyes and look around. Well, next week, this crazy story in Judges 17 is going to take another crazy turn. And we'll walk that out together. Now, here we are. I've lost track of the weeks and the times. Living somewhat in isolation. We're all wondering, when are we going to be able to get back together? We're really hoping. We're really hoping that we'll be given some limited capacity to gather within a couple of weeks. And so would you begin to pray that with me? Pray that God would 
stay this pandemic in our land, pray that God would open the doors so that we might be able to gather together once again. We know that that release is coming, and I think that we're all pretty impatient, no one more than me. I do really long for the opportunity to be together with you so that we're not sharing on time delay and through the lens of a camera and, well, let's face it, doing the best that we can with what, what we've been given. I really look forward to those moments where we once again can fellowship face to face. And Father, to that end, we pray that you would bring healing in our land, a restoration, O oh Lord, in our ability to gather together and worship you studying your word, serving you with a whole heart. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We pray God's rich blessing as you follow after him.